Welcome to the Girl Power Alliance podcast, where you're going to meet and hear from some inspiring women with incredible stories who are leading in business and in faith. We are on a mission to impact the world by empowering women to dream bigger through kingdom-minded mentoring and leadership. This is where women grow. Welcome back to another episode of the Girl Power Alliance podcast. I'm stoked. We have another amazing woman on the show today. Let me tell you a little bit about her before we get started. Uh, Lindsay is a Christian wife, mom, and mother of three. She's an educator. She has her master's degree in teaching. She has been working with children for over 20 plus years and school, homeschooling her own children for more than 10. So that is so timely because women are freaking out all across the world right now. I know, I know, right? It's crazy. Uh, in yeah. 2013, she and her husband adopted a newborn boy. Uh, the story of his adoption and his transition into their family that is radically changed Lindsay as a mom and an educator. She is the founder of A Heart for All Students an organization with a mission to empower children who think and process the world differently by equipping the moms who raise them. And even when I just said that, Lindsay, I got chills. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Great. I'm so happy to have you in the midst of what would feel like apocalyptic times. You've got the pandemic, you've got tornadoes and hurricanes and just, it's crazy. It is. It's absolutely crazy. Yep. And we just have the tornado of my son running out the door, my husband trying to get him out the door and whoo, girl. (laughs) Yeah. That's all the outside stuff. We can talk about all the stuff indoors right now that's going on. That's really Mm -hmm. crazy. um, I'm so happy to have you on here and to share your story. I would love for you to share a little bit more with the listeners, just a little bit more about you beyond just that bio. Well, um, okay. So let's see. Yes. I have been married to my husband, Ian, for almost 19 years and we, um, met in college and we had, let's see, we had our first daughter 14 plus years ago. Um, we had our second, she's 11. And then we went through a pretty intense season of infertility. Uh, we lost seven babies. Um, but there was one in particular we lost halfway through our pregnancy and that was a real changing point in my life and turning point in my life. Um, which has kind of got us to this place where you're interviewing me now because we adopted a little boy, um, in that, uh, about six years ago and he and the story of my little man just brought us here today. So I am a completely different, not only, you know, it's interesting cause you read the bio and, I was like, I'm just a completely different person. It's not just mom. It's not just educator. It is, I am a completely different person. I'm a completely different believer. I'm a completely just radically different than I was six years ago. Um, so yes, that's a little bit more about me. Well, um, okay. So let's, let's unwind that a little bit. So yeah. you, you know, devastating times, uh, with infertility and, uh, I'm glad that it's getting talked about more now than it used to be, but women just are suffering with grief and confusion. And, um, so in addition to all of that, then you adopt this, this baby boy. And so tell us about some of the stuff that's gone on with him. Well, the first 18 months with this little boy were, it was easy peasy. He just 
transition smoothly into our home. And, you know, of course, at the time, I wouldn't have said it publicly, but I'm like, oh, it must have had something to do with me, right, as a mother. I was just such a good mom. And then, um, yeah, so he, he easily transitioned. We, like I said, we've been homeschooling for 10 years. And so he just, he was easy to just take with us wherever we were going. And we were just super busy and life just happened. Church was the same. Routines were the same. And then about 18 months, um, about 18 months, he, it's so funny because he stopped sleeping. This is really what happened. He stopped sleeping. And at the same time, he stopped sleeping. And when I say he stopped sleeping, I'm like, not kidding. Like for more than 365 days straight, this child did not sleep for more than maybe two hours at a time if we were lucky. Um, So then you add on, he stopped sleeping and then he started screaming. He could not communicate. And at the time, I didn't understand what was going on. I thought, oh, he's just a little bit of a late talker. But he screamed, and I'm not, again, I'm not exaggerating. (laughs) Literally, from the moment he was up till the moment he'd go to sleep, and like I said, he didn't sleep. So he would scream, this high-pitched scream that, like, it was like a torture technique. I mean, to this day, there is reaction. I mean, we were just all so on edge because he would just scream out of frustration and then that frustration combined with um, his exhaustion led to behaviors as he became mobile and he could walk. He was a little bit delayed in his walking. And so once he became mobile and all of these things started to compound, there was nothing you, this child could not get into. He would, and anytime you would try to steer him some, somewhere else, uh, he'd hit, kick, scratch, bite, destroy, chuck frames. I remember like frames and glasses, like being thrown across the room, um, out of his anger and his frustration and everything I knew to do in that season, nothing worked, nothing. The, the good Christian mama, everything I believed about being a good Christian mama, what the good Christian mama does, all of that just did nothing. And it, it was, um, it just brought me to a place of complete and utter hopelessness and humiliation and isolation. And any mom who's navigated a child screaming in the the grocery store knows that feeling and then just compound it every day, all day. Not sleeping. No sleeping. It was really, really, really tough. Extremely tough. Did he, what did he get diagnosed with? Uh, Well, so it took a while for us to kind of figure out what was going on. His his pediatrician who had been with my girls, you know, since we had moved to the Charlotte area, cause that's where we are now. Um, so that had been, you know, he had been with us for years and years and years. He was the first one to suggest, you know, you might need to start considering something for him to keep him alive. Um, because his behavior was so dangerous. So the suggestion was, I mean, the behaviors looked like ADHD or very, very severe ADHD because he couldn't focus for more than two seconds um, I tell this story often, like we went into, I just remember, I mean, I say it was the 87th day. I don't know what day it was, but it was like the 87th day with no sleep. Right. Mm-hmm. And I brought my boy in to the doctor's office and we were sitting, and I call it a holding cell because that's what it felt like at the time, you know, when they bring you in and then you just sit and wait for the doctor. And so there's my boy and then there's my girls and my girls are just trying to keep it together. They're so sweet, but my boy was just in everything. So he's like had 50 tongue depressors, again, exaggerating, but you know, chewing on the tongue depressors, opening all the drawers, flipping all the lights on and off. I was doing everything I can to like have him not scream because yeah. it was like, I choose either screaming, which 
or destruction or destruction. And I remember the doctor came in and he looked at me and he said, you're going to need to possibly consider some medication for this little boy. And I mean, he was barely, I mean, he was just over two, maybe close to three at the time. I, the dates kind of get confused because I was so exhausted, but I remember just bawling my eyes out to this doctor yeah. saying like, I am not the mother for him. I'm not the mom for him. I should like, God did not like, he must've made a mistake or oh. I wasn't listening. I wasn't listening correctly because I, I can't do anything. Oh, I'm going to cry. I can't do anything for this boy. And he's like, and the feelings I was feeling the exhaustion, like it was just too much. And, um, <laughs> you know, my doctor was just so good because he said, um, no, actually you are the mother for him because sorry, I had no intention of doing this. Um, <laughs> You're making me because cry. I know because if it wasn't, if it wasn't for you adopting him, he would be either in his like 37th foster home or he would be dead by now. And I just remember thinking, oh my goodness, he's right. Because as much as my boy like killed us and I like, I literally felt like we had made the biggest mistake ever in our family. As much as he just, I mean, he did, he destroyed everything. And I say this, not even exaggerating. He did destroy our lives as we knew it. Never again were, will we ever have what we had before. However, I knew the doctor was right. I knew that he would be in his 37 foster home or somebody would have killed him out of anger because anybody could, because it was that bad yeah. with no sleep. He was aggressive, violent, hurting my girls. Like it was crazy. Um, so I needed that in that season. And that was a, that, that was a turning point. It took, as far as going back to your question about what he was diagnosed with, it took a while to figure out because at that age, doctors don't want to diagnose a child that early. So we did a lot of um, speech therapy, occupational therapy. We saw pediatric neurologists, sleep specialists. I mean, there's developmental pediatricians. Um, so we, we saw a lot of specialists and got a lot of help for him in the beginning. Um, and it took a while till we found the developmental pediatrician that we have now. And I'm not sure how familiar you are with developmental pediatricians or no. Okay. So just for your listeners, because someone may not know that this even exists because I didn't know. Right. So a develop, a developmental pediatrician is the type of pediatrician that is experts in these very, very severe cases of behavioral issues because behavior is just information of what's going on here. And we, we've kind of talked about that before. Um, so that's a specialist who would, if it was necessary, be the one to make the decision whether or not to provide medication for a child under like the age of six is usually when they will feel more comfortable diagnosing. Okay. Um, yeah. So, but it, his behavior was this, he would run into the middle of the street because he saw a car coming. <sighs> he would hang from a two story foyer because that was fun for him. So it was just like thrill seeking, no language. It was really, 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 really tough. Um, so he, so his diagnosis now, oh gosh, if I looked at his paper, we just know that his birth mother, who I give, it's with the crying. Maybe it's the quarantine. I don't know. <laughs> Girl, I am so sorry. <laughs> I think um, it was the, um, the, the, his birth mother made choices that 
were not the best for him, which is one of the reasons why we are his family. And I am so grateful to her. And I want to be very respectful of her because she was a hurting, hurting person and she did the best she could. And, um, she loved him by allowing him to live when everyone was telling her to not let him live. Um, so we just know that she made some choices. And so we don't have a full diagnosis yet. And I think, but it's very, very common, particularly in domestic adoption, some of the stuff that we're navigating. Um, so that's kind of where we are. My gosh. I mean, yeah. I gave you there's a lot. So many, there's so many places that we could go. Yeah. And before I get into a heart for all students, I, I just want to, I want to just ask overall during this season that is so scary, I feel like for you to navigate and feeling so helpless and alone, hopeless is one of the words you used. Like how important was your faith to your family? Well, it was so important to my family, but I will tell you, and I feel like it needs to be spoken about because we want to give the right answers, right? We want to give the right answers. But what I found so interesting in that season was that it was really hard for me, faith-wise, really hard. Of course. I was so exhausted, so physically and emotionally, cognitively exhausted that it was like I would try desperately to get up before he would wake up because I knew the minute he woke up, it was like all hands on deck and I had to be ready. And not only did I have to be ready to keep him safe, but to keep my girls safe. Yeah. And, you know, I felt this incredible guilt to them for what they lost. And a lot of adoptive families, they go through this and people in foster care, especially too. And people don't talk about this. This is not spoken about. Mm-hmm. Um, we are not given this information ahead of time. It's a huge problem in the adoptive community. And I don't, I rarely really talk about the adoption piece. That's just not where I'm at right now. But I, um, I was so exhausted going back to my faith that I remember waking up like desperately, just like fighting to wake up just so I could have a few minutes with the Lord. And yet I would sit and I would do the same thing that I had done in years past. Right. And I had, it was like, his word was dead. It wasn't alive. I was receiving nothing. And I remember saying to him, like, is this all, is this, yeah, where are you? Is was this all a joke? Like, is this, was, this all like your word is living and active. And I just remember, cause it was the hardest season and I was really angry, but I need to talk about that. And I feel like moms need to know that our God is big enough to handle all of our feelings. He is big enough to handle our feelings. You can tell him I'm angry and I'm mad and I know that you're good and all this kind of stuff. But right now I don't feel it. I don't believe it. I'm, I'm, I'm broken and I'm desperate. And I I just told him that. And what I will say is this about my faith is that if I go back to the year and a half of that season of grief and all the miscarriages, especially when we delivered our daughter, that was the deepest grief I'd ever experienced in my entire life. And yet it was the sweetest, sweetest time of my faith. Mm. The Lord met me. I mean, there was like six months straight where after I lost my daughter, I would just, every morning I would get up and my girls, they were just, we lived just such a different life. They were so 
well behaved on the outside. You know, they were so well behaved and they just did what I needed and they let me have hours. I mean, literally I could, I could get up in the morning and I would have hours with Jesus. And he, in that season of the infertility of the grief before we adopted our baby, he poured into me so much scripture and I memorized so much scripture. And I remember praying for baby number three, the baby love number three and get this baby number three. I started when I, cause I would journal, you know, my prayers. Right. And I would just memorize scripture and memorize scripture only because of him, not because of me. And I remember praying for baby number three and I kept saying from my body, baby number three, from my body, because I knew then that he was not calling me to have baby number three from my body. Mm. But I put that caveat in there because I knew <laughs> that he was not, that baby number three wasn't coming from my body, but I prayed and prayed and prayed for baby number three from my body, baby number three from my body. And the scripture and the scripture and all the scripture that I memorized in that season, that was only because of him. That, all that was what got me through that season where I felt like the Lord had completely abandoned me. And I remember thinking, oh, is, is our faith only for when things are, are cushy enough that we have the emotional and cognitive bandwidth to like sit in your word, right? And to just experience yeah. those sweet times. And it was all this scripture. I mean, I'll never forget. I was in the front room of our old house and the sun was shining and I was just so exhausted and on edge and shaking of with anxiety, knowing he was going to wake up saying to God, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Like, is this all just a lie? And I remember he just, it was like all these scriptures that kept getting me through. He's like, ah, but he who began a good work, he who began mm. a good work is faithful to complete it. He who began a good work. Um, you know, uh, just scriptures like, you know, oh gosh, one of my girlfriends, I remember after losing the baby, it was Romans eight twenty eight where it says, you know, God works all things for, go, for, those, for those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. But she pointed out to me in that season of, of the, the grieving for my daughter, because those he foreknew, the next verse says, he predestined to be transformed into the image of his son so that Jesus would be the firstborn among many. Meaning it was all those scriptures that I was like, okay, he is working this all out for good. He does have a plan for me. He is trying to conform me into the image of his son. And I will tell you, I look so much more like his son, not even close, not even close. But it was in that season when I realized how prideful and self-righteous and how judgmental I was towards other mothers, mm -hmm. towards myself. Like, so it was the, his word. It was his word that I had to cling to as truth, regardless of my feelings that's what got through me, got me through that season. Um, that's what got through. It was not fuzzy. It was not love. I didn't feel, I felt nothing. I felt nothing but exhaustion and anger. I feel like that is the essence of what faith is though, because like if we talk about faith and you're right, it's all frilly and pretty and has flowers and nice crosses and everything. But the true, but the true measure of your faith is when you feel nothing, when you see nothing, when, the, when you're blind, when you're exhausted, that's the true measure of what faith is. And so that's a remarkable testimony, you know, looking back to be able to move forward and seeing that he literally wrote those things on your mind and your heart so that you would have something to cling to. And it's always interesting to me to hear stories of people, to talk about something that happened, whether it was a positive or a negative, 
and how it prepared you for something that was coming. But you can only see that on the other side. You don't see it in the middle. You certainly don't see it before it's coming. And you, and you certainly don't see it while you're actually in the activity of that season. It only comes on the other side. And that's why I think it's so important to share these stories because there's somebody listening to this. That's where you were before you adopted your son. That's where you were in the middle of the adoption. And you know, you are now in a new season. Yes. And you know, thank, thank Jesus for that. Mm -hmm. And so gosh, it's almost hard for me to transition to what you're doing as far as, you know, a heart for students, because there's so much more. I mean, we could do, we could do hours of podcasts on, on your son. And, and I just know this as a mother that our children, God uses our children to show us who he is more than anything else. Like more than any, more than anything we'll ever go through. And the reason is I believe that our love toward our children is as close as we'll ever experience to how he loves us and how we would suffer for them and do suffer for them. We die for them, but I don't think any other relationship comes close. And that's why I think our, our children are such catalysts for, to build our faith. Yeah. And so, you know, having a background and doing what you've done, being an educator, having a master's degree, um, you know, you're going through all this stuff. You finally got with a pediatrician that could help you sort of begin to navigate. Mm -hmm. How did God guide you from that place into a heart for all students? Um, yeah, that is, yeah. Um, well, basically in that season and working with a developmental pediatrician and developing these incredible relationships with some amazing pediatric specialists. And then in my, just who I am and so many moms are like this, we research like crazy. And so I, during this season, I just read everything I could. And the other thing, and I want to say this so that it keeps freedom to the other mother, right? That may not be there yet is I had to be completely shredded and broken in order to go get myself into counseling and to go through some Christian counseling and to really tease through, and this is part of his journey with me, some of the lies I was believing about who I am and what my value, where my value came from, what my role is as a mother. And so in that, you know, such a journey, it brought me to a place where I was able to really identify some beliefs that I had that were not truth, but that were adding so much pressure and burden mm. to me as a mother as a wife, as a friend, as a believer, and just how I interact with my own children and the children that I, you know, navigate and engage with now. And so all that to say, what ended up happening is just like my whole viewpoint of children and of our expectations of children and of our roles as parents radically changed. And I started seeing my students because even though we're a homeschool family, homeschoolers all across the country will tell you, we don't sit home and just sit at a table all day. We are involved in co-ops and groups. And I was involved in a program where I would teach English grammar and writing every, you know, every one, once a week I would teach this class. And as I started changing the way I was approaching my own child and looking at my son, like his behavior is information as opposed to willful disobedience that must be eradicated. Okay. Why did I think that I should be able to eradicate sin in my child when I cannot do it myself right. in my own self? Right. Why would we need Jesus? There's so many of us that believe as young parents that we're supposed to control our kids. Where does that come from? Right. So I started seeing children differently. I started seeing that little boy who was wiggly in my class as, Oh, he's not being willfully disobedient. He, he needs to move. 
he's, he's, he needs to move. So we're going to get up and we're going to do jump squats in the middle of class. And we're going to, we're going to, we're going to practice our, you know, practice our prepositions while we do jumping jacks or whatever. And so what ended up happening is, is I started tutoring children, um, on a more consistent basis. I had two precious boys who mean the world to me. They're part of the story and their families are part of the story that I was kind of homeschooling alongside. Their parents had me three days a week, take their boys and work with them because they were just kind of the outside the box learners. And that's my jam. And I would just see them differently. And what ended up happening is people just started calling and I started people from traditional public schools would call me and say, I got your name. My daughter's struggling in this area. Could you help me? And then I would get calls from this mom's describing behavior and who should I go see? And what I eventually realized was the Lord had is, was calling me to lay down working one-on-one with children because I need, because moms need this information. And when we can equip mom with the information to be able to see beyond her child's poor behavior and see what's going on behind the scenes so that she can come alongside him and equip her son or her daughter and can keep relationship with her child, but equip her child to navigate big emotions, feelings, thoughts, then that mom can then go help her friend. And then her friend can go help her friend. And then what happens is we could change the lives of so many children that are being told that they're bad, that they're disobedient because they can't focus in class or they're wiggly or they have a hard time. They have a lower frustration tolerance and their emotions are big and get to them. Those kids that lose it all the time, they need equipping. They don't need to be shamed, which is, which is, I, it breaks my heart to think how much I parented from a place of, I was going to nip my daughter's behavior in the bud because really it was all about what I looked like. I know it's what we were taught. Yes. And so a heart for all students kind of was birthed out of just this, this heart to like, let's change the trajectory of kids who don't think and process the world differently or don't, don't process the world in the box. Like the kids that are in school that are always in trouble that are getting on red or the kids whose parents don't know how to navigate their behavior because they were told that behavior is bad. We need to nip it, you know? And so that's where it came from. That, that's my heart. That's my mission is equipping moms to equip their outside the box children to thrive because what happens, and you, I know you're familiar with this. We kind of talked earlier, but you know, like how many kids, like the mental health implications of constantly feeling not good enough, oh. out of control, right? The mental health implications, why there's suicide rates are up and cutting and all this kind of, this is not okay. We're raising children to become thriving adults. So let's set them up relationally and, and, and come alongside our kids with compassion as the broken people we are. Right. And so that's where, that's what it's all about. So it's, it's so incredibly important and I'm so sad for all that you've gone through, but so happy because God, you know, you're, you, you are a willing participant in this and you are allowing all of the things that you've gone through as a mother, you know, from the outside looking in, it's such a beautiful portrait that God has painted for you, starting with, you know, what you did and who you were and your education mm-hmm. and your two older daughters. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, to watch how he, he wove that into what you're doing now to really have such a huge impact. So will you share with the people listening just a, like a, like a commercial about what it is that, that you do? What are the services that you offer? How, how are you doing this equipping basically? So, um, what I do is 
interestingly enough, in this homeschool season, this has become even more part of what I do. I'm but sure. I, I definitely, my heart is to equip that mom who thinks, you know what, the traditional form of education is just not working for my child and my child's not thriving in this way. And so I offer one-on-one -on -one coaching and I create individualized education plans and I really work with my moms for a long time to get them um, in a position where they're ready to think outside the box and navigate and tease, weave through behaviors and resistance to learning and um, equip her child best educationally. So I offer that. But I also offer um, parent coaching, um, particularly for the mother that is, you know, a Christian mama. There's, there's something different that we navigate because we're not only navigating like what the world wants from us, but we're also navigating what we think the church wants from us. Mm -hmm, and yeah. then we transfer that onto what God wants from us. And what I realized is, is no, 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 no. Like we have to go to him and we have to see how does he come to us, right? The scripture says, you know, we love because he first loved us. He came to us while we were still sinners. He wasn't kind and loving to us after we got our act together. He came to us while we were a mess. And so we need to offer that same compassion to our children. But there's a, there's a lie going on in the church that tells us we need to, you know, that misuses, will spare the rod, spoil the child. It's a whole other thing. It's not even in scripture. But yeah. we, we have that fear in our head that we need to nip behavior. But the problem okay. with nipping behavior, yeah, that control, right? How can we control when God himself, who could control us, chooses not to control yeah. us and came to us through relationship? And it's through relationship with the Lord that we change. I was a mess years ago. Self-righteous and prideful, didn't even know it. And yet he was still there with me. Hmm. And then, and I'm still prideful. I can still, I'm still a mess. You know what I mean? It's a journey. But it's, it's a journey. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's a journey and there's such grace. So that my heart is to equip that mom who's a, who thinks, particularly the mom who knows there has to be a different way, but she has no idea what to do. And she's afraid she's not honoring the Lord if she extends grace to her child. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? If she doesn't, if she, does, if she doesn't spare the rod or she does spare the rod, forget the double negative, you get the point, right? That's the mom, the mom who feels isolated and alone, who loves her child fiercely and wants something for her child. That's who I want to support and love and love her child through her, basically. And so that's what I do. And, you know, I have a private Facebook group that I like to answer questions in. And I have a YouTube channel now that just came up because I was just talking so much. So I just said, just make these videos, you know, so a lot of teaching and equipping that way. But that was a long elevator spiel. No, so it was, it was perfect. <laughs> and, it's, you know, even be, even beyond equipping mothers, this is a, this is a message for the whole church because I believe religion and, and, you know, I love Jesus. I don't love Me religion. Um, yes. But what religion has taught us for who knows how long, as, as long as we can look back, behavior yeah. modification and has literally used the scriptures as like tools of the enemy and tools of behavior modification. When the whole new Testament talks about how, how Jesus came to break that, break us free from that. And, and literally uses the word in my opinion, as ways to manipulate behavior and mm -hmm. using guilt and shame and all of that. And right when we're reading the words and Jesus talks, he says, I've made you free for freedom's sake. Like, like we are free of all that. So I think it's so important to what you're doing, not just within the, the nucleus of the family with the mother and the child, but you're setting these women free from the bondage of religion in what you're doing. So it's even, it's so much bigger than what you're, than what you even realize that you're doing. It's beautiful work. You're so impressive. You're 
so amazing. I'm so proud of your strength. You're really strong. And, you know, crying is a beautiful thing. And it was, don't be upset that you cried on this. I cry constantly. So of course I'm going to say that, but um, if people want to find you, tell them how, where, what's the name of your website? How do they find you on YouTube? How can they be part of your private group? Um, so I'm on all the social media except Twitter. Haven't mastered Twitter. It's, it's, I'm still getting my feet wet here. Um, my website is www.aheartforallstudents.com. And once you go there, you can find links to, to the YouTube channel. It's just nice and simple, but YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, again, new to this whole social media thing. I am not an expert in social media. However, you can find me at all those places, even Pinterest, like who knew Pinterest, you know, Pinterest as well. So yes, I am there. And then the private group, there's even a link on my website. So if you go to www.heartforallstudents.com, you will find access to everything. So yeah. Well, and if you're listening to the pod, to the audio podcast, then I will have all of this information in the show notes. If you're watching the video on YouTube, just below the video, I'll make sure all of the information is is below. And I just want to say, good job, mom. You're oh. amazing. You're doing a phenomenal job and you are being used in mighty, mighty ways. And thank you so much for being on the Girl Power Alliance podcast. Um, you know, one of the things that I believe is going to happen, I, I'm, of course, I want to elevate every person that's on here and help oh. to promote you so that your business grows. But I believe so much that your story is going to impact people at every level of where you you have been in your journey and encourage them. And so, you know, bringing them closer to God, helping them to see other women who have walked through this and, you know, you're still walking through it. Like it doesn't end, but yeah. you know, uh, how, how important your faith has been and how you're continuing to use your faith in what you're doing now. It's just, I'm just grateful. Thank you. Well, I'm grateful to you because you're part of this, you're part of, you're this piece of this getting out there. Like I can't do anything apart from people like you being willing to like reach out and love the body of Christ by doing something like this and love children. So if it wasn't for you and you've taught me some stuff too that we haven't talked about here, but I really, really love your heart for kids and yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And you know, You'll probably have to come back because there's a lot more to talk about. <laughs> I would love to. I'd love to. Thank you. Thank you so much. God's timing is just so good, isn't it? I am so grateful for this amazing podcast, this woman, Lindsay. You are a blessing, a huge blessing. And while there are so many people out there right now who are stressed out about homeschooling their kids because some schools are going back to normal and many are not, um, I appreciate this incredibly timely word. So thank you again, Lindsay. Just love you. Love your heart. Love everything that you're doing. Praying blessings over her. I know you were blessed by listening to this podcast as I was, even though I listened to it a number of times each time I got something new from it. Just par for the course here at Girl Power Alliance. God just uses us to empower, encourage, and equip each other, which is really everything that Girl Power Alliance is all about. And if you are not a part of the community yet, I want to invite you to be part of the community, be a part of the bigger conversation, be part of the growth that is happening over there day in and day out. I truly believe that it is our duty to continue to grow. And that's why we've put together the things that we have put together within inside the membership for you so that you have 
continued opportunities to grow, grow in your skill set, grow in your uh, walk with the Lord and so many other areas. So head over to girlpoweralliance.com, join the movement and let your voice be heard. Girl Power Alliance, this is where women grow.